Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Karen Cam Radio Show. The intention of this show is to empower and inspire you to manifest the life of your dreams, whether it's radiant health, prosperity, loving relationships, or simply peace of mind. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Cam, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach. And if you don't have a copy of my book, you can get an excerpt of the first six chapters absolutely free on my website, www.karencan.com. Dot com. Just put your name and email address in, and not only will you get the first six chapters free as a download, but also access to five of my Fast Track Your Healing online classes absolutely free, and you can watch them at any time you'd like, and love uh, for you to join my community. So today I'm really excited because I get to interview Dr. Tenpenny. Now, I actually was looking into flu vaccines because a lot of my Patients were asking me questions, should they get vaccinated or not? And I knew that you know there were some ingredients, questionable ingredients in the vaccines that I was concerned about, such as mercury. In fact, one of my German uh, pediatrician friends uh, said to me, uh, you know, you Americans are crazy. And I said, what do you mean? And she says, oh, you know, she says, we don't have mercury in our pediatric vaccines. And I'm like, what are you saying, that we do? And she's like, yes. And I was like, really? And so I was really, I had no idea. This was probably 20 years ago. And um, so she thought we were kind of crazy to keep them in our vaccines. And so I was like, this is very strange. And then I hear reports from, you know, the natural world and then the controversy of vaccines. Like, you know, uh, you know, some doctors are saying that, um, you know, that smallpox uh, didn't decrease because of the vaccines or polio didn't decrease because of the vaccines, but it's because we were more hygienic. And then the opponents will say, well, that's BS because there's evidence show that the vaccines really help, you know, decrease the burden of disease. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, what's the truth? I don't have time, and most regular conventionally trained medical doctors don't have time to sift through hundreds and hundreds of hours of, you know, reading data and studies and stuff to figure all this stuff out. We just kind of go by what our authorities say we should be doing, and that's what I was doing for much of the time. And I swore by the flu vaccine before when I was working at UCLA because I thought that really helped me prevent the flu. But now that I know a lot more about my immune system and how to support it naturally um, and looking at some of these ingredients, I'm like, you know, I really don't want some of this stuff in my body. So my personal choice is I don't want to get vaccines personally. But everybody uh, should make their own decisions based on information. And what we're trying to do is give people clarity on where to find the information and how to make an informed choice. And that's the big deal here, and that's why I love to have uh, one of our experts here, Dr. Tenpenny. So she's been researching this whole thing about vaccines for quite uh, quite a time. She's really dedicated her life and entire website to informing the public on vaccines. And um, as she says, she's not anti-vaccine. She is pro-choice which is pro being able to, you know, understand, you know, what has been in the past in our history, what we're doing now, what's in the vaccines, and just really know what you're getting into. And then you can make an informed choice. So I really appreciate, you know, what she's talking about, her bottom line. 
So we will open up the phone lines for your questions at the end of the show. If we have some time, the number to call in is 818-514-1190. Again, it's 818-514-1190. And just hit 1, and then we'll know your hand is up and you have a question. So, Dr. Tenpenny, are you here? Are you with us? Oh, I'm not hearing anything on the other line here. Okay, let's see. Uh, We could have an audio problem. So, Dr. Tenpenny, if you can hear my voice but you can't speak and we can't hear you right now, um, we'll have you call back in to the show and we'll see if we can get the audio working. So I apologize uh, about that, everyone. So uh, we'll have you go ahead and uh, um, call back in if you can. That would be awesome. Thank you. Sorry about that. You know, um, you know, the Internet is not perfect, folks. <laughs> We have some problems sometimes. Um, so we're, while we're waiting for Dr. Tenpenny to, Tenpenny to call back in, um, we will. I will tell, just tell you a little story. The um, the vaccines. The the reason I have asked Dr. Tenpenny on the show today is because I watched her two hour lecture on the flu vaccine. Now, of course, I I made uh, my husband watch it too. <laughs> Dr. Tenpenny, are you here? I think I hear you on the other end. Okay, still can't hear your voice. Um, I'm hearing some feedback, which sounds like I can hear, should be able to hear you on the other end. I guess we will try to call out to you. Let me see if I can get that going. It's a little tricky doing it uh, three-way, but... uh, we can try that. So we're having technical difficulties today. But uh, anyway, so I had made my husband um, go through this, you know, this this wonderful two-hour lecture. Of course, I was riveted the whole time. And afterwards, I said, "Oh, honey, I I know that was probably kind of dry for you to to listen to all about the vaccines, and you probably didn't pay attention." He goes, "No, no, no, I paid attention." <laughs> he says, "I do. I, I I think that's really cool. You know, it, just, it was really funny." So let's see if we can get Dr. Tenpenny on the call. I'm going to try calling your line here. Hello. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Hello. Hey. Can we gotcha. We gotcha. Can you hear me now? Yes. Hello. One, two, three, one, two, three. We can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear us? Good. Yeah. Yay. Sorry about that. Um, I guess we're having technical issues with your audio today for some reason. But thank you for joining us on the show. Now I think I'm losing you. No, we can hear you. Okay, hi, good. All right, so tell us how did you get into this whole realm of vaccines? I um I went to the National Vaccine Information Center meeting in Washington D.C. in September of 2000. Listened to scientists, researchers, parents, physicians all talk about the problems with vaccines and said, "Gosh, how did I miss that?" So I came home and I started reading documents from the Center for Disease Control and medical journals and the Pediatric Infectious Disease Journal. And here I am now, 20,000 hours later and 15 wow. years of my life into reading what you called, um, you know, all of the medical literature and going through it because, well, I guess because somebody has to do it, it might as well be me. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad it was you and not me, let me tell you. 
So tell us about, um, what about the, the controversy that people say that there's good evidence that vaccines have made a positive difference in preventing disease in our country? Well, here's the diseases that we're trying to prevent. We're trying to prevent things that cause a cough, a rash, some diarrhea, and a sore throat. And so in exchange for not wanting your kids to have a cough, which would be whooping cough, or a, a rash, which would be like measles and chicken pox, or diarrhea, which would be like rotavirus, um, or um, a, a sore throat, which was mostly what HIV was, which was mostly with some awful influenza B, was mostly a sore throat and ear infection. We have mass vaccinated 70 million children with 40 doses with 49 doses of 16 different vaccines, and the trade-off for that, I would say, is not equal. Huh, but there are some very serious sequelae to some of these viruses, say encephalitis. You know, there might be encephalitis that might... Well, our connection's really, really bad, Karen. Sorry, it's probably the the phone line. Um, Can you hear me about... What about... Um, I can only hear about every fourth word. Sorry about that. Uh, let's see if we can get your other line working here. Okay. Okay, let's try that. Oop. Okay, whoops, we lost you. Let me let me try to get you back. Okay. Um <laughs> So can you hear me? Oh, well, that's interesting. Okay. Well, we may have to do this the other way, folks. Okay. Let's try this other way. All right, sorry everybody for the uh for the technical difficulties. This is kind of a challenge sometimes with the internet, especially in our small area. Doesn't always work. Okay. Let's try this Can again. You hear me now? Oh yay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> okay, cool. Yes. Can you hear us? I can. If you want to hang up on your on your five one eight call, I I think I'm in on the other line. Okay, great. We just did that. Awesome. All right. Yay. So persistence pays off. Um, so uh, okay, I'm going to be the devil's advocate for a second. I'll you know I want to say that for example with measles, mumps, and rubella, I mean there's some pretty awful things that can happen to the brain and the heart, and you know if people get these kinds of diseases, so wouldn't it be smart to like immunize people so they don't get they don't get these serious, you know, illnesses. Oh, that's because we've reclassified normal childhood diseases into serious illnesses. And that, of course, if you're living in, in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa, and you're vitamin A deficient and you're nutritionally deficient, you might get something that is a serious illness called measles. But the death rate from measles in this country was less than four per, per 10 million when the measles vaccine was introduced in 1963. So hmm. what was happening in terms of the incidence rate was extremely high, but very few people were getting any long-term complications. 
Congenital rubella does happen in third world countries, but we have we've dropped congenital rubella almost to zero over the course of the last 15 to 25 years. And mumps, it was never a serious illness. And so to say that mumps can cause sterility, if you actually read the medical, absolutely one of the, a very rare condition because people, men have two testicles and women have two ovaries. And very rarely does mumps attack both organs bilaterally. Okay, but the vaccine advocates will say, well, we have a decrease, you know, it, it's not so bad or not so serious because we've been vaccinating here in the in the Western world. Well, I disagree with that. It's because because all of these things went away because they were filth diseases, and filth diseases are smallpox and polio and typhoid and cholera and a lot of things that we should be much more concerned about than measles. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so now we're vaccinating our kids with how many how many shots versus say when I grew up, you know, in the 60s and 70s? Well, up through 1985, there were only three vaccines. There was there was MMR, measles, mumps, rubella. There was DPT, and there was polio. There were only three vaccines. And so when all of the laws were passed with the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, when various um, public health department rules were set up about vaccinating for schools and things like that and enforcing the laws that were on the books. That was all in the 1980s when we only had three vaccines. Now kids get 49 doses of 16 different vaccines. Wow. And so when you know know what some of the things are that are in them, you've got things like formaldehyde, which was recently placed on the list of a known carcinogen, large amounts of aluminum, You've got um, animal cells like monkey kidney cells and, and bovine serum, and the bovine serum is always contaminated with cow viruses. They cannot get it so that it isn't. Um, you've got hmm. traces of egg, traces of chicken viruses. We've got several different retroviruses that we know can, can potentially be associated with cancers. There's yeast in them. There's... Um, different things like uh, there's insect cells in them. I mean, there's all sorts of vile things that are coming through this needle. That's why I've always said health does not come through a needle. Health is an inside-out phenomenon. It's about taking care of your anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry, and energetically with positive thoughts and, and, um, and, get, and getting adequate sleep and thinking about what you want instead of what you don't want and keeping you healthy from the inside out injecting you with things to ostensibly keep you from getting sick, um, it, the trade-off for what else is being injected through that needle is just, is just very significant. Well, and then most people, when they go to their um, their doctors for their childhood vaccines, they're not really given much of a choice. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I, I hate to admit it, but when I was doing family practice, it was just a given that the kids, you know, came in and they got whatever shot they needed at birth and then the two and four and six months. And we as doctors were cited as being irresponsible um, if we did not, you know, recommend it, we did not document it in our charts that we recommended it. If they missed their shots, we go chasing them, you know, for that because we want to make sure these quote-unquote measures of health uh, were being addressed. Um, and even though I would say to the mothers and fathers, okay, well, there may be a risk of, you know, um, you know, swelling in the area. You may get some fever with some of these. Uh, but it was just kind of accepted that that's just what we did. So I don't think 
most doctors are thinking about all the other stuff in the vaccines. We were never taught that, and I don't even know where we could read about that. It just seems to be in the fine print. Well, first of all, you know, um, in, in legal in legal um, um, things, they say that ignorance is no defense in the law. And I would maintain that ignorance is no defense in medicine either. I mean, doctors can start with something as simple as reading a package insert and know what's going in, what, what the ingredients are, what the potential side effects and what the published side effects are from, the, from, from that. And if, if doctors don't know what they are injecting into people, that they can't uninject, and if they have a problem, we shouldn't just sweep it underneath the rug, I think that's a bad statement about our profession. I mean, mm-hmm. I was a board-certified emergency medicine physician. I worked with, was the director of an ER for 12 years. I gave away tetanus shots like I thought they were some special kind of candy. And if you had one last <laughs> year when you had a bad cut, well, it wouldn't hurt you to have another one. And boy, was right. I wrong. Because the people that have the highest incidence of side effects and potential neurological and cardiovascular complications are people that have extraordinarily high tetanus titers. And so every huh. single one of these vaccines has potential side effects has potential ramifications, they are co-opting your DNA, they're affecting the immune system, they're causing autoimmune problems. In fact, the U.S. government has, has um, awarded more than $3 billion in vaccine injury compensation claims, and it's estimated that less than 20% of people who are injured have gotten, a, have gotten a, a, an awarded a claim to the uh, um, federal court, court of claims, and less than 1 in 10 people who actually have an injury actually report it. So we are creating destruction of the human genome and causing bad health with these vaccines left and right, and physicians own up to it not at all and have no responsibility for it other than to say what's to be done in their electronic medical record and what the drug rep said when they brought them for lunch that day or what they supposedly learned when they were in medical school, which was nothing about vaccines. And I feel like I can come out pretty strong about that because I am a physician. And I feel like mm-hmm. it's the responsibility of physicians to know a bit about this. And I think it's just a travesty that they don't. No, and we don't, certainly don't get any rewards or awards for, for you know, questioning the medical establishment. Um, uh, for well, example, no you know, yeah, so, so Gardasil, uh, which is one of the newer kids on the block, supposedly helps the idea is, you know, to market to, you know, teenage girls or younger that to prevent uh, potential cervical cancer from these uh, HPV viruses that cause, uh, so-called cause cervical cancer, and therefore they've seen supposedly on the, on the you know, research that there's a decrease in cancer. So, I mean, that's the gist of what I'm getting, that it's supposed to be decreasing these kinds of cancers. So is that actually true, or they fudge their data, or what's going on there? Well, a couple of things. First is, yes, they fudge the data, because they put the two, there's, there's at least 11 viruses that are known to be associated with cervical cancer. Only two of them are in the vaccine. It's serotype 16 and 18. And when they came out with the vaccine back in 2006, if the population in the United States less than less than less than three percent of women in the United States were known to have serotype 16 and 18, and these were sexually active women. They had to take they had to choose the the serotypes from pooled international data because the the wow. Gardasil or the human the human papillomavirus is actually kind of like a cold for your cervix. It comes and goes. 
less than more than 98% of people who have HPV, it will be come and go and be gone within two years, and they'll have immunity to it. And so that was the original thing. One of the two researchers that have researched Gardasil now have come out publicly and said this will be one of the biggest scandals in medical history when the truth be known of what comes out about this vaccine. And we have confirmed deaths of more than 150 girls now from this vaccine, and it's been banned in four foreign countries. Ooh, wow. So so the, the serotypes that they based the vaccine on didn't actually cause a heck of a lot of cervical cancer in the first place. Right. And now that they say that, um, you know, cervical cancer is now associated most commonly with those two strains, now they're going from Gardasil 4 to Gardasil 9 to Gardasil 11. And even though the side effects, it, because the Gardasil has the largest amount of aluminum in it of any vaccine, and when they did the original clinical trials, they used a shot of aluminum as the placebo to compare it to the Gardasil, which has a lot huh. of aluminum. And when they said that when the, the side effects were the same were the same as the placebo, well, I suppose a shot of Gardasil with aluminum and giving you a shot of aluminum would probably have the same side effects. Wow. So that is not a true placebo. That's kind of uh, tricky. Well, actually, when you read the medical literature and you really dig down and you find out what the placebos are, that never, ever in the history of vaccination, including the polio trials that were back in the 50s, has, has, have the vaccines ever been tested against a true placebo in a placebo-controlled trial? And a placebo, for those that are listening, is something that's truly inert. It would be like a shot of sterile water. Uh, You know, when you're testing medications, it's the sugar pill. It's the things that you know that that do not have, should not cause any reaction whatsoever. But in the vaccine trials, one vaccine, the new vaccine, is always tested against another vaccine with a known side effect profile. So you're testing two different vaccines against each other. Even in the polio trials, in some of the trials, uh, they gave one half of the kids a polio shot, they gave the other half of the kids a tetanus shot. When they said the side effects were the same as the placebo, which the tetanus shot was the placebo, I mean, how can you justify that? And physicians should know better. I mean, physicians should know that should just that there is, you know, when they do a multi-dose vaccine, that they now have a combination vaccine of, like, Pediorix that has, that has DPT, MMR, uh, polio, and hepatitis, I'm sorry, it has DPT, polio, and hepatitis B in it, then they, mm-hmm. as, as a combination vaccine, what the placebo was, was three individual shots of those vaccines, as opposed to all three of them given through one syringe. That was the placebo. Oh, and at first I was really excited. I would have to give less number of needle pokes you know, to my young patients, and I thought, I don't know, innocently that that would mean maybe less side effects. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, when you actually read it, it's actually more side effects because, because say, for example, Pediorex, it has four times the amount of formaldehyde in it because it's additive. It adds up all the formaldehyde that were in all of the other vaccines. It has more aluminum in it. And so the reason that they started doing this thing with the combination vaccines was because parents were becoming really leery of when the nurse would walk in the room with five syringes in their hand and they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't think I want my baby to have all five of those shots at one time. So the pharmaceutical industry said, well, I guess we'll just get around that. We'll just combine them all and put them into one shot. Oh, it it was brilliant. 
it was brilliant because even I had that perception this is probably going to be less harmful, but I didn't really think about it. I just assumed. Yeah. 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 It's kind of sad. Well, what about, um, you know, people have, you know, this whole, I'm sure this is another can of worms, but, um, you know, the whole autism vaccine controversy, you know, time and time again, there's some sort of meta-analysis of absolutely no data supporting that vaccines cause or contribute to autism. Do you have any comment on that? Well, I don't know how many more studies we have to publish in order to show the connection. Because there are dozens of connections of, 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 vaccine, of vaccine studies that show that vaccines cause encephalopathy and encephalitis. So encephalopathy is, is global injury to the brain. Encephalitis is inflammation or infection of the brain. And the package insert on the MMR vaccine, it actually lists one of the side effects as encephalopathy or encephalitis. So I guess as long as we call it encephalopathy and we don't call it autism, I guess that we can get away with that. But as soon as you use the A word, people say, no, it doesn't really, it, it isn't really, it doesn't really um, cause autism. But the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program has, has awarded many cases, and the most, the most um, obvious one was the Hannah Polling case that made the mainstream news. But then they say, well, it really wasn't the vaccine, it was a mitochondrial disorder. Or it really wasn't the vaccine, it was a genetic deformity. But what? stimulated that mitochondria to cause the problem? What stimulated that gene to cause the problem? Well, it was probably spring air or, or butterflies flying down the street. It could be anything, but it would never be the vaccine, never, no matter what. We protect mm-hmm. that stuff coming through the needle, and we protect those the vaccine injury companies to the point where you would think there was holy water coming through those needles, the way that we act towards that stuff that's in that shot. Well, we often assume, which is unfortunate, um, is that uh, if the government says that this is what we need, they must have already looked at all the data and made it that it's safe, and so people will blindly believe that it's safe because my otherwise the government would pull it off the shelf, and this is, couldn't be further from the truth. Well, there's more than 12,000 vaccine injury compensation reports filed every year, and they estimate that that's about 10% of them, reports on vaccines per year. Can you think of one other product, whether it's a pharmaceutical pill, whether it's a piece of equipment, whether it's anything that you can possibly think of that has 12,000 complaints per year that would still be on the market? But we do not, mm. do we, but we don't take off vaccines because Dear God, somebody might get a fever, a cough, or a rash. We can't have that. Well, and and there was a a recent uh, uh, so-called, I I wasn't there, but it was an outbreak in the Calgary, Canada area of measles. And so, um, you know, my my cousin had a little baby, and his wife was very concerned that all of us had been already vaccinated for measles, which, of course, we have because, you know, I'm old enough that we all got that. Uh, before we could even, you know, be in the presence of this baby. And so, you know, I'm sure parents are saying, well, don't, you know, don't bring your kid to school unless, you you know, your kid's not, you know, vaccinated. I don't want my kids exposed to your unvaccinated children. Do um, You probably hear that a lot. Which is, which is just crazy. I mean, if vaccines work, if vaccines work, then the only kids at risk are the unvaccinated kids. And the parents that don't vaccinate are willing to take on that risk. And then the other thing that parents don't understand is when you get these live virus vaccines like MMR, when you get oral polio, when you get the flu mist, the one that goes up the nose, um, all of those shed viruses, they all shed. 
and they're, so they're shedding for days. And so I get a vaccine, and everybody thinks that I'm that that I'm doing a good thing for the community. Except I'm walking all the way down through the aisles at Walmart, shedding viruses at everybody. Hmm. So you know, right. we and and I and I would really like to see where they have proven that I, if I get a flu shot, it keeps you from getting the flu. Tell me how that works. I get a flu shot. It's just supposed to keep me from getting the flu. But somehow that protects you and keeps you from getting sick. Where they came up with this idea and how they prove a negative, right? If I get a no, flu shot right. and I don't get the flu, and I get I get the flu shot and I don't get the flu, is it because of the flu shot or is it because I wash my hands, my vitamin D level's high, I get to bed on time, you know, I, maybe I wasn't exposed, maybe my immune system was really super healthy and so it kept me from getting the flu. How can you prove that that flu shot kept me from getting the flu? You can't. That, and so how can me getting a flu shot keep you from getting the flu? If your vitamin D level is low, you don't wash your hands, you eat crappy food, um, you go out in the wintertime inappropriately dressed. I mean, really, I mean, why is it that we don't think these things through a little bit? We just make these broad-based assumptions that the FDA is always right and the pediatrician will tell you the truth. And the pediatrician mm-hmm. has certainly studied this when they mostly haven't. And and so I, it's been the responsibility of the parents to take this on. And, you know, people can read. They're not stupid. It doesn't take a lot to read a package insert and say, wow, I don't think I want that injected into my baby, and neither do I want it injected into me. Well, and what about parents who do reject the vaccine? Does that mean their kids can't go to school, public school? In 19, in 19 states, there are what's called a philosophical exemption, which means that parents can look at the risk of the vaccine versus the risk of the disease and say, um, I'm more afraid of that vaccine than I am of getting chickenpox or measles or mumps or whatever it is. And they can fill out a form and turn it in, and, and they can be exempt. There are um, 48 states that have what's called a religious exemption, which is highly, highly under attack right now because they're wanting mm-hmm. to take away parents' rights to refuse and right to choose. Now, here's the part that I think is terrible about what's going on with this legislative action. Let's assume that you have four children, and your first child was fully vaccinated and had a horrible reaction, had developed a seizure disorder or insulin-dependent diabetes or a long list of neuro- neurological complications, took years to get them stabilized and try to get their, their, their uh, health back. And now the government is going to force you to vaccinate your next three children to go to school. Wow. What a horrible predicament. And uh, and what, how conflicted would that parent be if they see their first child maybe in a wheelchair, maybe on a ventilator, maybe with all kinds of health problems, and they haven't vaccinated their other three kids, their other three kids are completely healthy, have no problems at all, and they're saying you must vaccinate them. And that's the laws that are coming through or trying to get passed? That's the laws that are trying to get passed. As of the first of this year, there are 110 bills submitted in 36 states to take away a parent's right to uh, right to refuse or right to choose. Wow. So what can people do the, to... Uh... Well, the truth of the matter is, is that most parents have their kids, most of the kids have at least some vaccines. And they decided that other vaccines were just not worth the risk. And now this government is coming along and saying, you, parent, are going to be forced to take on that risk. And if something happens to your child, you're stuck with the medical bills for life. And, oh, by the way, you can't sue the drug companies 
because they're protected. You can't sue the doctor because they're protected. You can't sue the manufacturers of the ingredients because they're protected. We're forcing parents to take on all the risk when everybody else has no liability. Wow. Yeah, that totally sucks. <laughs> yeah, really bad. Oh my gosh. So what parents, wow. what everybody needs to do is to actually get pretty involved with this. You could, there's a website. Mm. You go to NVIC, like Nancy, Victor, Iris, Charlie, nvicadvocacy.org, and you can register there for free, and you will get alerts on the bills and what's happening with bills in your state. I mean, if you're in New York, you're going to get bills about New York. You won't get, you won't get alerts about any other state. And this will keep you informed, and it only takes a minute to call your congressman and your representatives to let your voice be heard. We need millions and millions of people getting involved with this. Wow. Thank you for that. So it's uh, National Vaccine Information Center's site, so NV as in Victor, IC, advocacy.org. So people can sign up and get alerts from their own state to see what they can do. And certainly people you know, with children are highly motivated, uh, you know, to, to do this. I know several people uh, in town who have uh, been able to get the religious exemption but are definitely, you know, worried about the risk in the future if that gets taken away uh, from us here in New York State. Um, Dr. Tenpenny, I am, I'm so glad that we, we got to, sorry about the technical difficulties, but I'm so glad we got to speak with you today. Thank you so much for all the thousands of hours of research you've done on this. <laughs> I certainly could not, you know, answer some of these questions from just my lack of knowledge in the area. And thank goodness there's somebody like you that's really dedicated their lives to, to doing this research for us who can distill it down into the, like the key points. Because, you know, I'm a busy doctor and, and, and you know, I have time to go through all this stuff myself, but I can at least, you know, say, hey, here's the resource. You know, here's Dr. Tenpenny's website. Here's, you know, this DVD you can watch about it. And just get informed. You know, make your own decision based on this. This is what I decide and this is why. Um, but you can make your own decision. So it's really, you know, not about, you know, fighting anybody, you know, or making them look bad. It's really about our own health and taking responsibility for that and being informed. So, again, thank you, Dr. Tenpenny, for your, for your wisdom and for your hours and hours and hours of awesome research and passion. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Take care. Bye for everyone. Thanks for listening in. Until next time. <laughs>